Hello, viewers and listeners. This is your co-host, Stu, and I'm here with a woman of many titles, author, paranormalist, investigator, and the ghost lady of PA, Patty Wilson. Patty, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, honey? I'm doing great, Patty. So after um, our last episode, um, Mrs. Stu, the other half of Mr. Stu, um, came down and she asked a question about maybe we should think about doing a, a ghost episode on Christmas. And it was a lovely idea. And I had thought about it, but I wasn't sure. And when she presented it, it was so beautifully done. I was like, yeah. And she got my fire going. And so I set out on a mission. So this one is for Mrs. Stu. I found some really creepy and some really amazing ghost stories. And I hope she gets to watch it and she enjoys them all. So here we go. So a lot of um, people don't realize today that ghost stories are a Christmas tradition. They are in, in uh, Victorian England. They became a Christmas tradition. Eventually it would come across the pond of the United States and we would also ag adopt this tradition to a smaller extent. Um, there's probably it all started with um, a Christmas carol which was wildly popular in England and wildly popular in the United States. And at the same time, people um, have a lot more time in the winter than they do in the summer. In the summer, you're trying to raise your crops, you're trying to you know, get everything sorted out so you'll be able to make it through yet another winter in Victorian times. So come winter, the days are shorter. You are huddled by the, the fireplace at night with candles lit or kerosene lamps and it was just genuinely a good time to tell ghost stories. And also it's the end of the year, the death of a year. So it was a good time to reflect backward and talk about the past. So all of that kind of made this a tradition. And over the years, we have gotten away from that tradition, except here in our world. I love <laughs> Christmas ghost stories and there's an entire genre of them. So I wanna start out with some English stories because it is from, England where the ghost stories at Christmas originally hailed. Okay. One of the um, ghost stories that I found that I thought was really interesting is the story of a place called um, New Hampton, New Hampton Shire. And it's a little church. It's now just kind of the ruins of a church. And it was called the um, St. John the Baptist Church in Bowton, B-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Now, this little church in its churchyard, its cemetery, had a legend attached to it, which was sad and kind of creepy. And you see these, this particular type of ghost story in England um, a good bit, and sometimes in Europe as well. So the legend was that uh, many years ago, late 17, early 1800s, there was a young couple who were married on Christmas Eve in the little church. After the service was over, um, they, as they left, uh, the, the groom passed away. He was in an accident. Now they were a beautiful couple, dark haired, handsome man, beautiful, petite, redheaded, you know, bride, a very um, and much in love. And she was just devastated about what had happened. And so the legend was that she buried her husband during the time she should have been on her honeymoon. And a month after that, um, at the end of January of that year, she went back to the cemetery late that night, um, the night of the anniversary of the one month of his death, which would have been January 24th, and committed suicide on his grave. What a horrible, sad, and tragic story. 
and it is. Now, I want to, the story then became um, one that was kind of creepy. What people started to say is every year on the anniversary of her suicide, January 24th, late at night, she would be encountered by somebody in that churchyard somebody passing through, passing along the street. And the legend was that they would hear her crying, pitifully crying. And they would go into the churchyard, find her there, you know, weeping on the, on the tombstone of her, her dead husband. And they would try to help her. You know, they would ask her, are you okay? And for some of them, she would just talk to them for a moment, wipe her tears, and then fade away. But for others she would reach up to try to give them a kiss to thank them for their kindness. And here's the twist. If she kissed you, you would be dead within the month. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's well, a that, legend. That's, that's not nice. <laughs> no, it's not nice at all. But there are there are these kind of ghost stories in Europe. You'll find them. Mm -hmm. um, anyhow, so it sounds like just a, 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 the a legend, you know, of, of the area, except for this. There was a gentleman who lived in the area in 1875. His name was, was William Parker. Now, William Parker had heard the stories. He knew the legends. He grew up in that area, but he didn't really buy it. And he had walked past the cemetery multiple times. On this particular um, December 24th, it was cold and, and windy and rainy and mis just miserable. And he's coming home from festivities with family and friends. And he decides that it would be shorter to cut across the cemetery to get to his street than to walk the long way around. So he decides to cut through. And as he's walking through the cemetery, he hears this girl crying. And at the time, he was not thinking ghost stories. He was thinking, oh, my God, why is she out here in this stuff? You know, it's horrible out. So he, he finds her, you know, on her crying and leaning against this tombstone and he asks her if she's okay, and she turns around and she says, you know, no, but thank you for asking. And she leans up and she pecks him on the cheek. It's in that moment that it suddenly dawns on him what's happened. And he goes, take, he takes off and he leaves. He goes and tells his family. They call the, they, you know, they call in the pastor. Pastors heard the story before. There have been other people who've told that story and have not lived more than a month. And sure enough, on January 24th, he was buried in the cemetery. Now, the, the church records bear this out. They bear out several of these particular cases. So even though it is a legend because the names of the uh, bride and groom have been lost, there's a little bit of uh, history there that kind of backs up that this story seems to have some teeth to it. There's been multiple people who are in the church, you know, cemetery log, and there's a notation that they were kissed by the bride. Wow. You get that, and you know you got 30 days to get your affairs in order, right? That's right. You better be making it up with the man upstairs, man. Right. So, um, you know, I, I just thought it was an interesting story. The stories from England tend to be more sad and morose. A lot of bride stories that seem to come around the Christmas holiday. And, and I'm going to tell you a couple more that are just really interesting. So the next one is, um, there's a, a beautiful um, castle up there called Brams Hill Castle or Brams Hill House. And the story there is 
known as the mistletoe bride. So it goes like this. In the mid-1700s, there was a young lady by the name of Anne. And on Christmas Day, she got married um, in Brams Hill in Hampshire, England. She was absolutely in love with her husband, who was the owner of the, of the house, very well-to-do man, great big wedding festivities, and it was just an amazing wedding. So the tradition of the time was that the guests were supposed to carry the bride to the bedchamber. And, you know, sort of like, um, what is it they, they do whenever, um, shiveries, they have shiveries like in um, rural Appalachia where they, they kind of, um, steal the bride in some of the areas and other areas they make a lot of noise outside the the little cabin where the honeymooning couple are so this was kind of their chivalry type thing okay i don't know if you ever heard of that or not but i, ha I had not but uh, my wife's been watching a a video series on appalachia and so she would probably know that yeah chivalries were very popular in like rural uh southwestern pennsylvania west virginia virginia um and they have a a history anyway um, so she was, she knew this was about to occur and she said before this would happen, she made a suggestion. She's like, um, why don't you make, change this out a little bit? Instead of you guys just catching me right now and taking me up there, why don't you let me hide and you must find me trying to turn it into a game. And then she said, give me five minutes of head start and then you can find me. And so they did. Well, they searched and searched and they could not find her. They called for her to come out. Her, her groom called for her to come out. She didn't come out. And then people started thinking, well, maybe she ran off. Maybe she changed her mind. And her heartbroken groom, um, his name was uh, Lord Lovell, L-O-V-E-L-L. -L. Um, you know, he started looking for her, thinking, well, maybe something else happened. Maybe she was kidnapped. Maybe... You know, she she had an accident and he actually would never marry again. Um, he began looking for her. He began paying people to hunt for her and trying to figure it out. She never went home. Her family never heard from her. Nobody had the faintest clue what happened to this woman. Hmm. Now, fast forward 50 years. Okay. Lord Lovell is still living in the same home. He's him and his servants. He's. Now an, an older gentleman, probably in about his 70s. And for some reason, he had to go up to the attic of his home. He'd been up there many times. But on this particular occasion, he stumbled and he bumped into a piece of the wall back in one of the corners. And it shifted a little bit. And it caused him to pause. And he began tapping on it. And he realized it was hollow behind it. And he fiddled around with it for quite a while. And then he found the mechanism and he slid it open. Inside of there, there was a room with some old furniture and a big trunk. And hanging out of the trunk was a little edge of cloth. And he thought, now what in earth is in this old trunk? And why did I never know about this thing? So he lifted the latch and opened the trunk. And there lay his bride, or the skeletal oh. remains thereof. She had apparently found the little door and had gone in there and climbed in and hidden and then the trunk latched down on top of her by accident and she couldn't get out and you could tell she tried because there was a lot of scratching on the so supposedly she appears on um christmas night and walks through the house there 
And so she's called the mistletoe bride because she's often seen standing um, in the main hall where she had stood under the mistletoe and kissed her, her new groom for the first time. Interesting that over 50 years time that she never appeared, that, that he would see her. But then after he found her body, then it would happen. It seemed that it took place mostly after he passed away when he was seven in his 70s. And I can't imagine that um, possibly that was enough to uh, to rattle him pretty seriously to realize all these years would have been up there, you know. And so he um, yeah, she was never seen until after he passed. And after he passed, um, she began to haunt. And she would be seen in the main hall where they would hang this great big bunch of you know mistletoe and they and she supposedly haunts to this day that's a cool story it is a cool story um just the fact that you know that it pro it seems to be a true story i mean there is such a place it does exist it does have that legend attached to it and this you can go back historically speaking and yes his wife disappeared and was found dead in this secret room in the attic that nobody alive apparently knew about so, so evidently he didn't have the house built he no he inherited it. it was it's a very old house going back hundreds and hundreds of years and he had been born there grown up there but over the course of time apparently the story had you know had gone by the wayside now how she came to know of it whether she had stumbled upon it or somebody in the house had told her about it maybe an old servant or something and then yeah, I have no clue, but she definitely apparently found it in some way and then got stuck back in there and couldn't get out. It's a tragic tale. You'll find the English stories are a lot less um, happy than the American versions. It's <laughs> yes, like a, a little more austere. <laughs> they are, I have to tell you, one of the things that people don't realize about ghost stories is you can actually kind of tell the regions they're from and the culture of the people there that have told them based upon the stories. There's some things that are just colloquialisms for certain areas and certain groups of people ethnically speaking that I listen for. I've noticed over the years and I can pretty much pinpoint, oh, that's a Eastern Europe ghost story and that's a German ghost story or that's an American story. Hmm. So there's a, there's a definitely distinct difference in ghost stories. Hmm. Quite the talent you have there. I don't know if it's a talent. It's just a four, four or five thousand ghost stories later. I've noticed a few things, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, but it is true that you know there are certain types of stories that tend to be more popular in certain areas of the world. If you heard a Chinese ghost story or a Japanese ghost story, it's completely different than anything you've heard. They're very different, very creepy, but very very different. Mm -hmm. So just a, an aside. Maybe in the future you'll regale us with some of those. Perhaps I shall. Perhaps I shall. There's some very dark stories. So the next one, the last one I'm going to do from um, England is actually from uh, the area of Kent. There's a place there called Hawkehurst Road. And it was just a little dark country road back in the 18th century. And it was along this road that a, a highwayman, a robber by the name of Gilbert, was plying his trade. And what he would do is he would come across... Um, people in a carriage kind of in an isolated spot along the road late at night and he would rob them and he came across this young woman and her father who were coming home from somewhere and he came riding out spooked the horses the father pulled up and he um had the daughter step out of the carriage and she did she was 
angry and she yelled and you know was telling him what she thought of him and he better not hurt anybody when she started to yell unfortunately she spooked the horses that were already kind of skittish because they'd just been run off the road by this guy you know on, a, on horseback and the horses took off bolting down the road her father trying to hold on to the reins and eventually the carriage tipped and he died and worse yet as she turned to look at this man she had been in a carriage a few months earlier on the same stretch of highway which was between their home and the town and had seen the man who had murdered her brother and it was the same man this gilbert and he had robbed her brother and um and that's what had caused her to scream and so um as the carriage took off it had run and hit gilbert who was standing at the head of the horses from the carriage holding on to the 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 bit okay. to hold the horses down and so whenever the horses spooked and they took off they carriage inadvertently ran over him and eventually he would die from his injuries so the story goes that um late at night the young this uh gilbert is seen walking along this piece of road You'll hear the carriage and you'll hear the horses and the voice of the young man accusing him or young woman accusing him. And then you'll see him walking along. And this was a Christmas story because it all happened on December 24th in the mid 1800s. And so on Christmas Eve night, very late in the middle of the night, he's been observed. It's now our highway and people still to this day claim that they see him on top from time to time. Mm. Can I not, not imagine you're driving along and all of a sudden a phantom carriage with horses comes plowing out of the darkness and you you know you jam on your brakes and you're like holy crap what was that and as it's disappearing into the darkness further down you look and there's this man just walking along who is ethereal and he just fades away and you're on your way home from a Christmas party and you're thinking dude <laughs> I did not drink that much you know yeah, a little bit of the Christmas spirit in you right yeah. Yeah, not, not that much so I thought that those were pretty good stories to share that they were definitely um interesting stories I'm not going to tell the entire story of Anne Boleyn but just before we leave England her ghost story um, I don't know if you know that Anne Boleyn haunts the um, castle where she was held. It was called Hever Castle. And she was held there by her husband, King Henry VIII, while he was determined to have her executed. This was a, he got rid of a couple wives that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she was attempted to get to him to hopefully plead her case. And supposedly um, during the Christmas season, she haunts Hever Castle and is seen quite frequently now there's other times when she also haunts she's supposed to do it's called the walk which is there's a she walked from the um chapel and at some point she bolted trying to run to get away from her captors to get to where the king was at so that she could um plead her case and they captured her and then you know she was eventually executed she's supposed to relive that as well but at christmas time she's seen in the great hall quite frequently and she's you know seems to be there miserable and and trying to um plead her case still to this day it's a the story of of what henry the eighth did in every way it's just a tragic story but she's associated as a christmas ghost because she's always seen at christmas any idea why that is 
I don't know. I mean, for her, I don't know if it was because that's what this was actually her home at one time. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's, you know, that she was there for haunting because she had good times there. Maybe it's because she didn't want to leave. She didn't want to leave this earth plane. And this was, you know, it was not very long after this that she was executed. I'm not sure, but she seems to always haunt traditionally for Christmas. And I, I tried to find a specific reason. There's no nothing in any of the stories I've come across that says it. In fact, a couple of them say we have no clue why this is this way. But traditionally, she's seen at Christmas at this particular castle. Hmm. Oh, just like Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is in my book. <laughs> Boys, are you kidding me? We watch that movie every year at Christmas. I saw a, a trailer or something for it the other day, and I thought, I haven't watched that in a while, and it's a Christmas movie, and it is to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to move across now to, um, to the United States and tell some stories. This is um, actually a story that happened on Alcatraz. So we all know that Alcatraz was a, pr a federal prison. Um, we know that it housed Al Capone and a lot of really rough characters. Now, the Native Americans who actually owned Alcatraz Island, and still do, frankly, to this day, whether we want to argue it or not, huh. um, they, prior to whites being in the area, they had used it as a place where they banished people. They believed that there were um, evil or negative spirits there. So if you were in a lot of trouble and they needed to ba banish you, they would take you out there and leave you for a while. And so it had a lot of a bad reputation even before the first whites came there and Alcatraz was built in like 1934 people think of it as a long long time ago but 1934 is not even 100 years ago yet and it was shut down in 1963 now one of the most famous ghost stories and there are literally dozens of ghost stories to be told but one of the most famous ones took place in the 1940s and it was um the warden there decided to hold a Christmas party for, or excuse me, in 1934, um, for his staff. So all of the people were going to come and have this great big party at his home, which, you know, the warden lived on Alcatraz Island along with the prisoners. He had a beautiful home there him, that was his staff home. So Christmas, right before Christmas, he's having this great big party. The warden's name was uh, James Johnston, I believe it was. It's a Christmas Day, you know, fete. He's invited all of the um, guards, their wives, their families to this great big gathering. And they're in the middle of this gathering. It's a beautiful afternoon. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the great big dining area, this man appears out of nowhere in front of everyone. They describe him as an apparition who um, had mutton chop whiskers, a gray suit, and looked at them, literally stopped and looked at them. Can you imagine you're all sitting there and you just saw the whole group? There had to be well over 100 people. If you figure all of the guards and, and their wives and their, you know, what have you. And they're, they literally all froze. They looked at this man for about a minute and he stared at them balefully and then just vanished. The guards and their families were just not interested in continuing the Christmas party at that point. Everybody just left. They were too scared to stay in the residence and they refused to, you know, to stay any longer. It's an interesting story. They have no clue who he was, but he definitely broke up the Christmas party that year. Now, there's lots of stories about the place being haunted, but there don't seem to be any that specifically talk about that house being haunted 
um, at Christmas. And yet this is written down in the annals of the of the the facility there that this occurred, that over a hundred people saw it. And mutton chops. Mutton chops. <laughs> I just I thought it was an interesting kind of story. So I like a nice ghost story. So we're headed into the nice ghost story territory. All so right. I was going through the all these ghost stories and I came across a couple that I just thought were really lovely stories and I wanted to share. So this one was actually written in by a lady um, to one of the sites that was talking about, you know, have you ever had a Christmas experience? And this was her story. She said she lived in um, Seattle, Washington. And this was Christmas Eve of 1958. Her mom was out in the kitchen doing dishes. It was late in the evening and, you know, the streetlights are on and everybody's kind of tucking away for the night because tomorrow morning's Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. And she said uh, they were, her and her sister were about five and seven years old, respectively. And her mother yelled for the girls to come. Hurry up, girls. Come here. You've got to see this. And she lifted them up to show them there was a Santa going down the street and behind him was an elf carrying a great big brown bag walking right down the middle of the street. And she said, my dad came running out the door to see if the Santa would come in and say Merry Christmas to us, thinking he was just a, you know, and uh, as soon as he stepped out the door, the Santa, the elf and the big brown bag just simply vanished in the middle of the street. I just thought that was an interesting little story. It is, yeah, and especially that there's an elf as well. I mean, you know, so so two semi, <laughs> two supposedly fictional fictional um, characters. So. Wait till you get to the elves and the fairies. I've met fairies. Let me tell you, mm -hmm. they are interesting characters. And I don't think that any. I I have come to believe that what we call um, fictional characters today, just because they have kind of dropped out of our site as a general rule doesn't mean that they did not exist and don't exist there's actually um at some point i want to do a whole episode on it but there are places in the world where they literally have rerouted roads to not anger the fairies or the dwarves or the gnomes who live in that area i will look forward to those as well they uh, that's a really <laughs> fascinating subject it truly is mm -hmm. i started out doing it researching it years ago and I looked at it as fiction and then I began to collect these stories and there are stories to this day of people seeing and encountering them but everybody's always afraid to tell the story because everybody knows they're not real so that's how they manage to stay under the radar you tell people you saw them you're going to be wearing the the white coat with the long well, sleeves we're just going to roll their eyes at you and go yeah right how much did you drink last night? Mm -hmm. And so it's a really, you know, as long as they, they stay out of the road and they don't get um, caught on cameras and stuff, they're, they're good. And there are some interesting videos and, and still photographs. And I actually have a, um, a really dear friend who did an EVP session with the fairy. That sounds bizarre, but he was actually a skeptic and he was working with a psychic and she was saying that she could hear fairies. And one day she challenged him to turn on the recorder to do an EVP session. And he's like, there's nothing here. It's not real. She's like, okay, so you'll get nothing, right? And he did turn it on and he got these voices and they did not sound like regular human voices. And it was really interesting. So, who knows? I don't discount anything anymore. Well, that's why you are the paranormalist.
I just accept it. We'll have to let the facts go where they go. So the next story is a lovely story. And again, this I found this one um, from a site where these people, a different site, but these, there are a lot of people sharing stories that were special and precious. And this one just really was lovely. So this young man wrote in and he said um, when he was 17, his mother had passed away. And he, you know, finished growing up, moved away, got married, started his life. And he and his wife were living in this little apartment and they had a little gas fireplace in the apartment. She was pregnant with her first child and it was Christmas and they had decorated the house, the little place for apartment for Christmas. And at night they would turn on that little gas fireplace and sit in the floor and talk and, you know, what have you. So this would have been like 1950s, you know, and they just really liked it there. So one night they're sitting there they're sitting on the floor and they're chatting away and talking and like leaning up against the couch and watching the fireplace and the lights from the christmas tree flicker and there was this one strand of lights that had gone out and frankly he wasn't going to put it you know tear the whole tree apart to get it he just figured he'd wait and get rid of it at the end and all of a sudden um there was a, re a reclining chair that sat in the corner and all of a sudden the light on the tree began to flicker and they all went out except the one that was already out it suddenly burst into life and at the same moment the fireplace just turned itself off and he's they both looked up right away because you know that's pretty startling and there was the shadowy figure sitting in this reclining chair across the room from them and he recognized her immediately as she sat there smiling at him. It was his mother's spirit. And oh. his wife had never met her, but she had seen photographs. And she whispered, it's your mother. And he nodded. <laughs> and she was just smiling softly like she was enjoying watching them and realizing that his, her son was doing well. Her first grandchild was to be born. And she was just visiting with them for the evening. And he said she sat there for quite a little while. And then all of a sudden the fireplace came back on the christmas tree lit itself back up and when he looked from the fireplace to the chair she was gone but he never um forgot that moment because that was the moment his mother came to spend christmas eve with them that's nice because whenever you said a gas fireplace something like oh no is this thing gonna blow up or what <laughs> oh no we're headed into happy land now okay man. good 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 and happy land so, um, and I only have a couple more stories to share, but um, I just, I wanted to end it all on a good note. So I wanted to find some of the most beautiful stories and I saved my best one for the last, I believe. So we're getting close. So this one was another story that somebody had, had told from back in the 1960s. And they said that there were a little girl living in Texas in a, you know, with her family and it was kind of a warm night and she woke up and she was a little hot and thirsty and so she decided to get out of bed and frankly she was nine years old she wanted to go spy and see if santa had come yet mm -hmm. she still wasn't in that place where she decided he wasn't real so she snuck out you know, over to the door and opened it up a crack to see if mom and dad were downstairs and she could see they weren't so she started down the steps and then she froze because there in front in the living room by the tree was santa there's no other way to explain it jolly old elf big furry <laughs> coat okay. red you know white fur and the whole nine yards and he's standing there and they had um taken um their stockings or socks 
and had hung them up on the wall for Santa. And he had pulled them off. He's pulling them off one by one, putting stuff in them and then laying them on the coffee table. And she stood there for just a few seconds and was watching him. And when he turned around to put the next stuffed sock on the coffee table, she thought better of being there. She did not want to get caught. So she went running back up those couple steps and scurried into the room and jumped into bed. And her sister woke up and she said, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be out of bed. Santa Claus will catch you. And she's like, he almost did. And she told the whole story, right? <laughs> And, you know, her sister rolled her eyes. Her sister was older than her, and she rolled her eyes, and she was like, just go to sleep. You're silly. Well, the next morning, they went tumbling down the stairs and froze because the stockings weren't hung up on that wall where they had been the night before. They were laying on the coffee table. They were all stuffed with stuff. And the first thing they heard was their mother saying, now, how the heck did those things get over there? I could have swore I left them hanging up. And she said, so you know what? No matter what, I believe. Excellent. <laughs> I believe. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we should always believe, just to put that out there, man. The world is filled with magic. And I want to tell my last ghost story. It is truthfully, and I told you this before we started, got to be my favorite ghost story of all time, bar none. So this story actually I found in a book of stories that was written by an English author and it's from Emmitsburg, Maryland, which is like on the way to Gettysburg. It's an hour and a half, two hours from here where I live. So I know the area really well. So the, the little town of Emmitsburg was named for um, William Emmett in 1785. And it was just kind of a quiet little town. It avoided the actual um, Civil War, the, you know, the whole thing ended up happening in Gettysburg instead. And on June 23rd um, of 1863, though, the town did catch fire and it was just known in the area as the Great Fire. There's no reason that anybody can tell you it happened. There's stories that it was a Union sympathizer who started the fire as, you know, to stop the Confederates, all kinds of different stories like that. But there's really no definitive answer. It's just this little place that kind of time has forgotten, except for this. So there was a gentleman by the name of Professor Henry Casper Dillman, who in the 1800s um, was one of the most celebrated musicians in the, in the entire country. He lived in Emmitsburg. He um, and was the composer who created the inauguration march for four of our presidents, and he wrote many uh, Christian songs, which are, some of them are sacred to us to this day. He was known for his love of Christmas and he absolutely adored everything about that holiday. Before dawn on Christmas morning, he, he actually ran a little school and he had a little school orchestra and choir. So on Christmas morning before the light sunlight, he would gather up the choir members and the orchestra and they would play, Oh, come all ye faithful to wake up the entire little school. But there was another tradition that Henry was also very well known for. He would go up onto the mountain, the Catechean mountain, which is right behind the town. There was this little spot. He would go up there and he would stand and he would play his violin. He was a concert violinist. 
way late in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. He would go up there and he would play Christmas music for hours and the music would just drift down over this little village. And the imagery of that in the 1800s, there weren't radios, there weren't TVs. You would hear that haunting music just drifting down and know that it was the professor. So um, I, I just thought it was a lovely, lovely story. Now, he had a son named Larry. Now, Larry was made out of different cloth. Larry was a phenomenal a musician. He played the flute and he played it amazing, but he never took it seriously. He ended up owning a grocery store in town and he played the banjo and he just enjoyed you know, the people and what have you. And he, um, he would go play with his dad sometimes, but never took it very seriously. And then his father passed away and he was buried up on that mountain in a little church up there, had a little cemetery and he was buried there. Now, in 1882, after his father died, I guess Larry had a change of heart. So come Christmas Eve night, he went to the cemetery picked up his flute, put it to his lips, and played Christmas carols for his father, who was laying in the churchyard. And then, after he'd played there for a while, he knew the spot his father used to stand in to play the Christmas music over the town. And he made his way up there, and he stood there, and he played his flute for a little while longer in memory of his father. And every year from that point until he himself passed away, Larry would climb the side of the mountain, go to the cemetery, and play. Now, there's a little place out there called the Grotto of Our Lady of Lords. I've actually seen the signs for it, and I plan to go there next Christmas just because of the story. Mm -hmm. And um, he would play all, you know, well into the night until this happened every year until he died. It made the newspapers became like a, a an annual event. People would come and just stand down in the streets and late at night listening for Larry to play. And eventually, of course, like all, all men, Larry passed away. After 39 years of playing every Christmas on that mountainside. The year after he passed away, you can imagine there was a little bit of longing in that town for what had once been professor's beautiful music had been silenced and now Larry's music had been silenced and so everybody went to bed thinking I guess the thoughts about the years before you know and how they're going to miss that beautiful tradition that the family had brought to the town and then way late in the night it began the soft high reedy notes of a flute people began to perk up and they're like who could be playing the flute Sounds just like the songs, the way Larry played them. Somebody's got to be up on the mountain playing that flute. And then, at just that moment, the sound of the violin picked up the strains of the flute and began to play alongside it. And it is said from that Christmas till hopefully this one, that some people here up on that mountain, way late in the middle of the night, Larry and his father playing their Christmas songs and keeping everybody watch until the morning's light. And if that's not the best Christmas ghost story ever, you'll have to tell me. I'm sure Mrs. Stu will be very pleased. <laughs> I hope so. Mm -hmm. When I read it, I knew I needed to share it with her. Good. <laughs> so from our hearts 
to the hearts of everybody who listens to us. I want to wish you all the best and merriest Christmas. And remember, Christmas isn't about the stuff you give. It's about the love you give to the rest of the world and then what you'll receive in return that way. I did a little writing this morning, and I wrote about um, the line from the, um, the, you know, the, the Christmas um, story where um, Dr. Seuss wrote, it came without tags, it came without ribbons, you know, on and on. And it's maybe Christmas is a little bit more because Christmas doesn't come from a store. No, I, I, that was actually why I wrote that, because I was listening to so many people this year and and all the things that they're anxious about. I don't have enough presents. I don't I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure. This has been a very trying time. But just to remember, it's not about the stuff. I've got enough kids and greens to tell you the kids play with the boxes and forget the stuff anyway. You know that we all know that. Absolutely. Being with the kids, being with your family, loving the people that are there, reaching out and doing something for somebody else. So I hope everybody follows that in this Christmas, and I wish them the very best from our hearts to theirs. Thank you, and Merry Christmas all. Merry Christmas. <laughs>